This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss bundling Medicare payments. With me to discuss the topic is Harold Miller, President and CEO of the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform. Mr. Miller's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Welcome, Harold, to the podcast. Thank you, David. Nice to be here. On background, bundled payment or episode-based payment is reimbursement based on the cost for a clinically defined medical episode of care. This form of reimbursement began over 30 years ago. Recently, however, CMS has been again experimenting with reimbursing Medicare providers for certain episodes of care. In 2013, CMS began its bundled payment for care improvement demonstration, and this past July, the agency announced a more aggressive bundled payment demonstration titled the Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement, or CCJR demo that would require hospitals in 75 markets to participate in a bundled payment demonstration for hip and knee replacement surgeries. Bundling payment, considered the middle ground between fee-for-service and capitated payment, promises to reduce medical cost growth and improve care quality because payment is fixed at a predetermined reimbursement amount. With me to discuss how bundled payment can best be designed such that these goals are met is again Harold Miller. Listeners interested in a more complete assessment of bundled payment as it relates to CMS's proposed CCJR demo should see Mr. Miller's recent Bundling Better, How Medicare Should Pay for Comprehensive Care for Hip and Knee Surgery and Other Healthcare Needs. A link to that document will be posted along with this podcast audio. So with that, Harold, let's discuss five aspects of bundled payments and certainly feel free to place your comments in the context of the proposed Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement or HIP and Knee proposed demonstration. So let me begin with uh, the first aspect, and that is how generally can bundled payments improve the underlying fee-for-service payment structure such that in part we're not just reifying uh, fee-for-service uh, payments? Well, it really starts with trying to understand what's the problem with fee-for-service. And there's really two fundamental problems with the fee-for-service system today. One is, although it's called fee-for-service, there actually isn't a fee for every service. There are only fees for certain kinds of prescribed services. And many of the things that can actually be helpful to patients don't get paid for at all today. Um, or in some cases, they may get paid for, but they don't get paid the right amounts. And so a hospital or a doctor can't actually afford to deliver them. The second problem is that we tend to pay basically the same amount for a service, regardless of what the outcome is. Um, so a hospital or a physician or a post-acute care provider makes more money by doing more things rather than by doing them better. Um, so the notion of, the, of when people talk about bundling, the idea is to basically say rather than paying for everything separately and paying for some things but not other things and paying based on how many things you do rather than how well you do them, what if we actually started to provide a complete package of service? Because if somebody 
is getting hip or knee replacement surgery or many other kinds of significant procedures, there's no one thing that goes into doing that. So they may need to be tested, they may need the surgery, they will need some kind of post-acute care services, et cetera. And all of that really goes together to ensure a good outcome. But today, all that gets paid separately, and everybody who does that gets paid separately. It'd be a little bit like if you're going to buy a car, walking into the car dealer and say, I'd like to see a parts list, please. And I'd like to pick one part from the, the Buick and one part from the Chevrolet and one part from the Fiat, and somehow I'd like to get all those put together. What people do is they go in and they say, I'd like to buy a complete car that all the parts work together and that there's a warranty on that car that says that if something goes wrong, that you'll fix it. And that's really what people are trying to do when they talk about bundled payment in healthcare is to say that people should be able, if they're going to get their hip or their knee replaced, to be able to buy a complete package of services with a warranty on it so that, in fact, that if something goes wrong, it gets fixed, not with additional charge to the patient, but um, uh, that the provider covers that. Let me ask uh, one aspect about this that you have written, and that is the way at least the CCJR demo is proposed is that it pays fee-for-service and then reconciles the payment afterward relative to whether you uh, um, spent below or above the target price. But you've talked about the fact that this doesn't recognize or may actually um, preclude the ability for the provider to be innovative. Right. So, for example, many people, if they're getting um, a surgery, will need to get some kind of physical therapy rehabilitation afterwards to be able to, you know, strengthen the muscles, to be able to walk safely, et cetera. So today, basically, there are very fixed choices about what Medicare will pay for. They will pay one amount for one kind of service in an inpatient rehabilitation facility, a different amount for a skilled nursing facility, something else in home health. And basically, you either take or leave each of those services at the amount that it gets paid for. So if, if, if your surgeon said, well, I think you could actually go home, but what you really need is some very intensive rehabilitation and physical therapy for several days to be able to do that. Medicare doesn't pay for that. So the way Medicare is trying to structure the joint replacement bundle is to say, we're still not going to pay for that. Um, if you somehow, surgeon or hospital, decide that all on your own, with your own money, you want to create that service, um, for those patients, which would be good for the patients and would cost less than any of the things that Medicare pays for, go ahead, but we won't pay for it. But a year or so from now, we'll add it all up and we'll see whether or not you actually spent less than um, other people did. And if you did, then we'll give you some of that money back um, to cover these costs that you incurred up front. Well, that's a pretty big and, and uh, kind of unreasonable risk for to put a doctor in a hospital in to invent a whole new service for free, um, even though it's going to be uh, better for the patients um, uh, and uh, ultimately better for Medicare. And for Medicare, basically, to save a lot of money in the short run, because they're not paying for any of the things they ordinarily pay for. They're not paying for anything, because the doctor in the hospital are, are providing something that's not paid for. And then for Medicare to hold on to all the money and then give it to the, the doctor or the hospital later on. The idea of the bundle is to say, let's give you the money in a sense up front, or let's give you a budget that you have the flexibility as to how you want to spend. 
And if you want to deliver a different service today, you can deliver that different service today, and you'll be paid for it today. And if at the end of the game it turns out to be that you end up spending money, then you'll have to pay some back, but you can get your costs covered when you incur them. Okay. Let's go to the patient, and you did mention them in passing just now. Bundling payment, in this sense, is in of lower extremity joint placement procedures, hip and knees. What types of patients should be included or excluded in these surgical bundles? Well, I think ultimately a large number of patients uh, could be. There are certainly, there are, in almost any aspect of medicine, there are patients that have very unique problems, and it's hard to define a bundle for them in advance because you don't really know what they're going to need. But there are um, large numbers of patients uh, that are similar in many ways. Um, I, I think that the logical place to start with these hip and knee bundles is with patients who have who are getting elective joint surgery for arthritis. So they have pain in the joint. They're otherwise uh, fairly healthy patients, uh, and they simply are coming in elective surgery. So. The advantage of that is that the patient and the physician can plan everything out um, in advance. Um, if somebody needs their knee replaced because they're in a car accident, um, they're probably going to have a lot of other things going on, and to somehow say, well, we're simply going to bundle the knee surgery and try to separate that from everything else uh, isn't reasonable. Now, there's other categories of patients. There are many patients who may get a hip or a knee replacement because they fall and have a fracture. Um, those could be bundled too, but typically those patients are going to have some different needs than the patient who is simply coming in for a purely elective uh, replacement. So what you need to do in all those cases is to use some kind of what is generally referred to as risk adjustment, um, basically saying the payment amount for those patients is going to be different. You, you'll know what it is in advance, but it's going to be different for patients who need different things. So a patient who needs a knee replacement but is uh, significantly overweight, they might need to have a lot more um, uh, physical therapy, maybe some weight loss before they get the surgery. That's going to cost some more. They might have some greater risk of complications. That could cost some more. So you'd say, well, I have to charge more for a patient like that. Um, but I'm not going to be paid more simply because I did more things to the patient. I should be paid more because the patient came in with a greater need. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to the provider side of the equation. And you did suggest the provider should make some effort to bundle successfully. So how best should the provider performing the bundle service or any bundled payment episode be organized? Well, what you want to do, I think, is you want to have all of the people who are engaged in delivering that complete package of service see themselves as a team. Um, so the, the surgeon who is uh, doing the surgery, uh, potentially there may be a physiatrist involved, for example, <clears throat> that's overseeing the physical therapy, they would want to be working closely with the skilled nursing facility or the home health agency or whatever to say, let's make sure that the patient gets exactly what they need, that if there are complications that seem to be developing, we'll identify them early. Anyway, so they're all working together, which typically doesn't happen today. Um, typically, people simply go from one provider to the next provider with very little communication um, in between them. How they should be organized is a separate question. Um, they should function as a team. 
But I don't think that there should be any prescription as to exactly how they should be organized. There are some cases in the country where everybody is literally working for the same organization. The physicians are employed by the hospital, the post-acute care providers, the home health agency, for example, is part of the health system. Everybody works for the same entity. But there's other situations in which everybody is independent. The surgeon is independent, the home health agency is independent, the hospital is separate. And there are many cases where those folks are also working together. And again, that's no different than any other industry. There are, there are, there are businesses that produce products where they produce themselves every component part of the product and then they assemble it. There's other cases where businesses buy component parts from other suppliers, sometimes one supplier, sometimes multiple suppliers, and they put it together. It really is a matter of what, what makes the most sense in the individual situation. Medicare keeps wanting to try to prescribe one approach, and that's a really troublesome part of this proposal that they put out this summer, is that they want to basically say the hospital is in charge. Even if the hospital doesn't want to be in charge, Medicare is saying you have to be in charge. If the physician wants to put together a team, Medicare says too bad, the hospital is going to be in charge. And I think that the way we're going to really see innovation and to see things that are adapted to the unique structures in individual markets is to let whoever wants to be the team coordinator do it and let whatever organizational structure works, works. The key thing is what's it going to cost, how good are the outcomes. Right, so they self-organize. Right, exactly. Okay, thank you. You did mention these procedures, hip and knee for osteoarthritis. These are termed, moreover, preference-sensitive conditions where the patient can choose the surgery or maybe something less intensive, like at least initially physical therapy and other treatments. So the question then is, how do we avoid overutilization via bundled payments, particularly, again, in instances of so-called preference-sensitive conditions? You're probably, I'm sure you're well aware, Harold, that sure. uh, Dartmouth shows that the variation by region or unwanted variation by region for hip and knee surgery is pronounced, for example, between cities in Florida and Manhattan. It can be four to five times uh, um, greater in uh, these surgical procedures in Florida than in New York. So It can vary dramatically right. from one side of the state to the other in many in So many the states. concern is we may reduce per episode costs, but if there's an incentive um, to receive from CMS the difference between the target price and what your fee-for-service billing is, we could then just drive up volume. Well, that's certainly a potential risk, and it goes back to understanding what the problem is in the current payment system. One of the big problems in the current payment system is that we pay very well for surgery, and we pay very badly for non-surgical alternatives. So if you say to a patient, gee, you might be able to avoid surgery, um, but here's this complex series of things you'd have to do. You'd be able to need to get these injections. You need to go to physical therapy. You need to lose weight. Right? You need to lose weight. There's, and there's nobody who's actually going to help make sure that all that comes together. It's kind of up to you, you know, that each of the individual services will get paid for. Um, well, guess what? That doesn't work very well in many cases, and a lot of those services actually get underpaid. So the patient isn't very happy with the outcome, um, and so they feel like their only option is surgery. Moreover, we don't pay very well at all for anybody to spend time explaining to the patient what the trade-offs are and what the risks of surgery are versus what the benefits are, what the risks and benefits are of alternatives to surgery. 
And there have been a variety of projects around the country that have been done that shows that if, in fact, you go through a careful shared decision-making process with patients, that they will choose surgery at a dramatically lower rate, 20 to 40 percent in many cases, uh, simply because they now understand that the surgery isn't quite as wonderful as they might have thought it was. Then the other problem is because we don't pay well for the alternative, what we end up doing is so the surgeon, for example, says, well, you know, I'll get paid to do a surgery well, but I won't get paid to be able to provide the alternative, so I don't offer the alternative. So the answer to all that basically is to say, well, let's pay enough to, the, to somebody who can, who can advise the patient about the alternatives, let them decide what they want, but let them do that decision with, make that decision with full information. And then let's also support the uh, alternatives to surgery, so be, better coordinated physical therapy, weight loss, and pain management, again, focused on the outcome. And um, the risk that we have of simply changing the payment for the surgery is that we will somehow make the surgery work even better and be more lucrative for the folks who are involved in it and thereby thereby, uh, increase the incentive to do more surgeries because we're completely ignoring fixing the rest of the system. Okay. Okay. Thank you. My last general question amongst these five is that one of the criticisms is this is siloed care that we're going to bundle this 90-day episode in the CCGR demo as proposed for hip and knee, but that it fractures care, it's siloed, it may undermine care coordination. So in your mind, how do bundled payments be better integrated or integrated with more uh, broader or wider objectives in regard uh, to care management? Well, if you think about how you would have a really well-coordinated overall healthcare system for somebody who had multiple needs, um, you wouldn't say, I'm just going to hand some money over to somebody and they're somehow magically going to figure it out. You'd say that, well, each aspect of the patient's needs should be addressed efficiently and effectively by the set of providers who would manage that. So if I need a knee replacement, I want to make sure that the people who do the surgery and do the rehabilitation do a good job of the knee replacement. At the same time, I might have diabetes and I want somebody who's going to manage my diabetes well. And I'm going, I have a skin problem, I need somebody to check my skin and make sure I don't have melanoma. All those pieces come together. There's no one person who would ever be doing all of those things. Each of the individual providers should be doing their own piece well, and then you want them to be coordinated. But the coordinator can't somehow avoid surgical site infections for the knees um, or make sure that the right treatment is being done for diabetes. So the advantage of the bundle is to say, let's make sure that each of the providers is getting paid the right way for the piece that they do, then we should still be thinking about how do we make sure that the patient is getting good overall coordinated care on top of that. But you can't just pay for a care coordinator and not actually fix the individual types of care that the coordinator is supposed to be coordinating because having well-coordinated bad care (laughs) does not result in a good outcome just like having individually good care that's not coordinated doesn't necessarily work to have a good outcome. You have to have both pieces of it. So the bundling can be one piece of an overall solution. It's not 
the only solution, but it can be an important solution to being able to make things like accountable care organizations and other bigger systems work well by enabling the people who do each individual piece to do a better job of the piece that they're responsible for. So bundled payment while still recognizing and appreciating whole person care, I think, might be the phrase. I think we have yes. time for uh, just one last uh, quick question. So sure. I noted the CCJR demo was proposed a few months ago in July, and the final rule on the demo is expected uh, sometime later October, likely November. I sure hope November. not. Well, early November. I hope that they'll go back and rethink it significantly. Well, there is a proposal by many uh, commenters to delay implementation sometime after January 1, which was the proposal. Right. So my question then ultimately is how do you think this, uh, how does it look in final? Well, I, I hope that Medicare will significantly change its direction in terms of the way that it tries to do payment reform. Um, I think a lot of people were very disappointed at this because there was no opportunity for input. There was no consultation. Medicare just suddenly came out and said, here's the way we're going to do it. And I think there are uh, provider organizations and medical specialty societies and hospital associations all over the country that are working on trying to improve care that understand what the barriers are that they're facing in the payment system and have been developing solutions to them. And what we really ought to have is a bottoms-up process rather than a top-down process where those providers who want to deliver better care can take their proposals to CMS um, and have them evaluated and if they make sense, which in many cases they do, have CMS implement them rather than CMS develop a one-size-fits-all approach and then mandate it on people even though it makes no sense for them. So I'm hoping that they actually will withdraw this proposal um, altogether as it's currently configured and turn around and do something very different, which is to go out and invite people to send them proposals as to what would actually work better um, and be willing to support multiple approaches in different parts of the country. Well, with that, Harold, thank you very much. We're at our time boundary. You'll certainly see in the next four to six weeks how this looks. So thank you genuinely for your time. Thank you for the interview. I enjoyed talking with you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.